Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I think we're going to pray for the sick tonight. And uh, I'm telling you that ahead of time because it might not be immediately clear from where we're going in Scripture that that's what we're going to do. But uh, I also want to echo what Pastor Mike said about the atmosphere in this place on Sunday. It was just great. It was it was it was a God thing. People were praising. People were worshiping. People were hearing from God. And uh, you know, if if everything that happened happened just to see one person come to Christ, wow, was it ever worth being here, right? Uh, I, I think more went on than that. I really do. But uh, I just, thanks for being the church. You guys are great. You guys are great. Uh, and God is great, greater than you. Mm, that's right. Mm. We're going to be in Jeremiah, believe it or not, chapter 32. You can turn there. And uh, we, uh, what am I doing? I can't talk and find my scriptures at the same time. Jeremiah 32 and 33, this is kind of at the tail end of what is probably the most encouraging part of Jeremiah. You remember Jeremiah, I'm sure you remember, uh, Jeremiah was is known today as the, the weeping prophet, or bad news Jerry is what we called him back in youth group. He, he did not have overall an encouraging message, bad news Jerry. That's what we're going to start calling you at coffee tomorrow, Jerry. <laughs> Uh, because his message was not turn or burn. His message was, it's all going to burn. Uh, it was too late to turn for Israel. You, uh, you're going into captivity. I'm raising up this vicious, mighty army, the Chaldeans, uh, the Babylonians. They're going to come in. They're going to take your land uh, because all of the warnings I've given you, you have ultimately ignored. And uh, so it's not an encouraging book. It's not an encouraging prophecy as a whole. But right there in the middle of it, uh, there is this encouraging word of restoration. You remember, uh, just a quick, I'm not going to do a, a whole rundown of the Old Testament, but you do remember, I'm sure, that from the time they inhabited the land of promise, they struggled with idolatry. They struggled with uh, just relating too closely to the societies that surrounded them and adopting their practices in specific disregard to the things that God had commanded them. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to be surrounded by people who do that, and I'm putting you in their midst just so you'll be different, and they'll see your difference, and they'll be drawn to you. And I still maintain that God's purpose for Israel was, was ultimately evangelism. They were supposed to be so different in, in every good way possible that the nations surrounding them would be drawn to their light. Tell us about your God, because your God is obviously better than our God, because your life, your world is better than ours. But instead, they got comfortable, they got lazy, and they got sinful. They got idolatrous. And uh, so, you know, 
the enemies would rise up against them and they would repent. And we go through this horrible cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. Sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. And prophets on the scene would say, you've got to stop this, Israel. If you don't stop this for good, judgment is going to come. You're going to lose the good land that God gave you. And so by the time Jeremiah gets on the scene, he's like, I've warned you, and I've warned you, and I've warned you. You have ignored everything I've said. Now judgment is coming. But now, well, in fact, let's read, let's read sort of a little bit of what God says about that whole scene in Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 28 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to this city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Uh, because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face. Because of, the, because of all the evil, the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned to me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name. They set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They weren't just worshiping idols. They were dragging them into the temple in the courtyard. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. What, a, what an interesting thing for God to say. It never, it's almost like he's saying it never occurred to me that they would do something this abominable, even though he knows everything. He's saying, this is how far they are from my heart. That they would do something that is the last thing that I would ever think about them doing. Sacrificing their children to another God. Now, that's not the encouraging part. Just figure that out. Hmm. You see, right before that, he tells Jeremiah to buy a plot of land. Now, you have to understand what's going on now. This is not just something that's going to happen in the future, even in the near future. The siege works are being built against Jerusalem. They can see the Babylonians. They, it's not just like, hmm, what if we should take the prophet seriously? They can see the enemy army working to take the city. And so, and they know... Now, there's still some who are desperately crying out to God, save us from the Babylonians. You're our God. You're bigger than them. You're bigger than their gods. Don't let this happen to us. You are Jehovah. You are the one true God. But some are listening to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is telling them, uh, here's what the, the Spirit of the Lord says. Stop praying for deliverance because that's not going to happen. You're going to be carried into Babylon. 
You're going to be carried into the land of the Chaldeans. And I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to be with you there. Okay, when you get there, go ahead and plant vineyards, build houses, teach your children, live. You're going to be there a while. You're going to be there 70 years. Okay, but it, you are going. This, this, this town is not being saved. So, and, and this is becoming more and more obvious day by day, hour by hour. So imagine you're a homeowner, you're a landowner, and you can physically see the people who are coming in to take everything. And somebody says, well, hey, why don't you sell your land? What's, what are you going to answer? Because what I'm going to answer is, who's going to buy it? This is all going to belong to Nebuchadnezzar tomorrow. But God tells Jeremiah, I want you to buy a piece of land from your cousin. All right? You buy it and buy it right. Make sure it's legal. Get the deed, everything. Sign it in the presence of witnesses. Your, your, your cousin... Hanamel was, is the one I want you to buy the land from. Then Hanamel shows up and says, hey, will you buy this land from me? And Jeremiah says, yes, I'll buy this land from you. And he signs the deed. Look at this. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 9. We're going back here a little bit. Jeremiah 32, 9. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it. <clears throat> took witnesses and weighed the money on the scale. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. So everybody knows Jeremiah bought this land. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. It's kind of like a picture Hanamel or anybody with land at this time coming across somebody dumb enough to buy their stuff. Hey, uh, it reminds you all the stories of people buying swap land or buying uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, you might have a deed of possession or a deed of ownership, but how can you possess it, right? And and this deed, this legal deed that says Jeremiah owned this land, is that going to keep the Babylonians out? When they come in, he's going to say, oh, you can have all this around here, but I own this. It's not going to work, right? So he says, keep it in the vessel. And this is God's way of telling him, uh, one day, people are going to be able to buy and sell and live in this land again. You own the land now. And that's what this deed is about. That's why I want you to keep it. I want you to keep it protected to remind you that you own it. Jeremiah's deed of this particular plot was symbolic of Israel's ownership, ownership of Israel and Judah. But what God is saying is, you will again 
possess what you own. It's not just going to be a matter. You can, you're going to sit there. You're going to be over in Babylon for 70 years pouting, writing these sad psalms about how other people are in the land that God gave you. You're never going to forget that this is your land. By the waters of Babylon, we lay down and wept when we remembered thee, Zion. But you will possess it again. Why? Because I gave it to you, said God. I'm the one who gave you this land. You own it. You will continue to own it. But even though the Babylonians are going to inhabit, they're going to inhabit it and take it from you, you will possess it again. Back to this idea, the difference between ownership and possession. Your legal right to something and whether you manifestly have it. And, uh, and then God goes on and on here about the future of Jerusalem, the future of Judah as a whole. And now listen, we know they came back. Because we've been there. We, we got to that part in the Old Testament. We know they came back to their land. But we also know that they never really got back to their former glory, did they? And that kind of looks like what God is promising if you read through this. And this, of course, is exactly what Judah is looking for. They want nothing less than a return to the days of the Davidic monarchy. They want King David on the throne. And, and what God has promised is it's going to be one of David's descendants on the throne, and they're going to own, they're going to possess their land, and everything's going to be like that again. Back when they're on top of the world. Now, they did come back to their land. They did own and, and possess their land, but they never came close to getting that glory back. So was God... Is this prophecy wrong? We know the prophecy is true. So what's the right way of looking at this? Look at chapter 33. In verse 14, it says this. Behold, Jeremiah 33, 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up, grow up to David a branch of righteousness, he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Well, now we know, although they probably didn't, that this prophecy is about Jesus. This branch of David is Jesus. And this, uh, the Lord our righteousness, that's Jehovah Sid Kenyu. The Lord our righteousness. We, we, we think about, uh, mm, let me, let me, let me read a couple of the passages, then, then we're gonna, then we're gonna unpack that a little bit. It's still in chapter 30, 33, uh, skip down to 19. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be a day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with my servant David, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, and my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Uh, skip down to verse 25. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, 
And if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and, my da- and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return, and I will have mercy on them. What he's saying, what he's giving here uh, are the grounds for his good plans, the grounds for his mercy. He's saying, if there is a covenant, there is not only a hope, there is a, a joyful expectation, an assurance, a knowing. He's saying, look, I know it is your unrighteousness that has brought this on you. But the fact is, I have made a covenant with you. I've made a covenant with David. I made a promise to him that I swore to keep. Now, you've blown a lot of stuff, and your life is looking pretty miserable right now. But the covenant is still in force. And I'm telling you, if you have any doubts about that, let me tell you about another covenant I have. It's a covenant of day and night. I'm the one who established that. Now, if you can break that covenant, if you can figure out a way so that day will not become night, night will not become day, then you can start to worry about whether I'm going to keep my covenant with you, my covenant with David. As long as there is day and night, you can believe my covenant is in force and I'm still going to do good to you, good for you. Look, the people prayed... They pleaded, they begged God not to let the Babylonians take over. But their sin, their lack of righteousness, demanded judgment. Their lack of righteousness demanded judgment. And so when he looks toward that future day, when a branch of David is going to rule Israel, and says, and their name shall be, the Lord our righteousness. Because in the Lord there is no lack of righteousness. God himself, when Jesus himself is our righteousness. Look, God promised, God promised to take them from the ruins to restoration, all right, from desolation to celebration. But how does he do that? Because he remains a just God. Under the law, when they're trying to establish their, their own righteousness by keeping the law, they failed. And so they demanded judgment. Where does that leave us? How righteous are we? Are we better than them? We're just in a better place. Because the Lord is our righteousness. If we're going to be judged by our righteousness, we're in great shape. Because the Lord is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Listen, our failures, our sins still demand judgment. But that judgment has already fallen on Jesus Christ. Okay? This is the key to understanding everything that is our covenant right in the new covenant. You can't keep God from keeping his end of the covenant any more than you can stop day from turning into night or night from turning into day. Now, keep that in mind. You see, when he was sending Israel into captivity, he was sending them there for a period of time for a cleansing, for judgment and a cleansing. But our sin was judged in Christ, 
and we were cleansed by his blood. So we're on the other side of that. Now, what does that have to do with healing? Turn to Luke chapter 18. This is not a healing scripture either. Luke, and I'm in John. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them, he being Jesus here, of course, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, "There there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Let me read that last bit out of the New American Standard Bible. It's a little clearer. Uh, Beginning in, uh, let's just say... Maybe verse 7, 6, 18, 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Look. Once again, we have a covenant. We have a covenant that is a new covenant. We have a covenant that is a better covenant than the old covenant. And it includes healing. When Jesus tells this story about the unjust judge, he's talking about, this guy has no regard for men. He doesn't have compassion. He doesn't have any natural inclination to dispense justice. He's just got this position. He He doesn't fear God. So he's not worried about standing before God to give an account for his office. But this woman keeps badgering him, hounding him. I need justice. I need protection. I need justice. Uh, Help me. Uh, Protect me from my adversary. And this judge is like, I don't care one way or the other what happens in this situation. I have no sense of right or wrong. Who's, Who's right? Who's I don't care. But... I'm going to do what this woman is asking just to get her out of my hair. Now we read that and we think, is this what Jesus is telling us? If God doesn't seem like he's answering your prayer, just bother him enough and he'll give you what you want to get you out of his hair. That's not what he's saying at all. This is, this is a contrast. This is the point that Jesus is making. He's saying if this, if this woman could get what she wanted, what she needed from this godless judge, how much more will the righteous judge, our father, answer our prayers? Is he going to delay dispensing justice for his saints? No, he's going to do it speedily. So we think, but I have prayed and I haven't seen it yet. This is the encouragement. Don't stop praying. Okay? I've been there. I've been there where it seems like it's, it's taking too long to see the answers to your prayers. I can just tell you that when you see the answer, 
and then look back. You will not be. Once you get the answer, your attitude is not going to be, oh, I just wish it hadn't taken so long. Somehow. I, 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 it might sound funny, but if, you, if, you've, if you've been on both sides of that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It can be so hard in the middle and in the middle of it, and you can be crying out, why? I don't understand. And even on the other side of it, you not, might not understand, but the answer is so glorious, and it's such a relief to get what it is you've been praying for, believing for, that suddenly the weight just becomes one more glorious part of the story. Our covenant includes healing, and our judge is not like the unrighteous judge. Right? He cares. He loves us. And it's his covenant. Uh, praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here, or Cheryl or whoever's left in here. I was listening to uh, Charles Stanley again this morning. I think I've told you uh, two or three times a week anyway. After I drop Riley off at school, I'll just drive around for 15, 20 minutes and listen to Stanley. And, uh, you know, of course, he's not a word of faith guy. Good old Baptist brother. He's a great teacher, you know, as long as he stays in his wheelhouse. And uh, he, was, uh, he was saying, actually, mom, mom was talking to me Sunday. We were talking about Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And talking about, well, what, what, does, what is Jesus doing today? He said, well, the thing to look at is, what, well, what did he do before? And he said, what, will Jesus teach us? Well, did he, te- did he teach when he was on the earth? Then yes, he'll teach us. What else did, did he say? Will he, do you remember? Uh, Anything that Jesus, you look, well, if you want to know what Jesus is doing today, look what he did in, 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 in when he was on the earth. And so you say, well, will Jesus heal us? Well, did Jesus heal back then? Yes, he did. But remember, he didn't heal everybody. <laughs> and, 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 not, and listen, I'm telling you, I'm a fan of the guy. I like him, all right? This is, this is a classic flaw of, uh, of cessationist theology, all right? No, he didn't heal everybody. He just healed everybody who came to him for healing. All right, and that's a beautiful truth. Anyway, what I heard him say today, this was beautiful. I just want, I, I'm driving along. Man, it's a beautiful morning, beautiful morning this morning, wasn't it? And uh, I'm, I'm just cruising along out through the country, listening to, listening to the radio, and I almost slammed on the brakes. You know, this, this was just this stunning thing. He was talking about how uh, apparently that morning, he's preaching on a Sunday morning, and he's saying, uh, when I got up this morning, I, I, I'm talking like Stanley, you know, and, and I listened to him, listen to me. He said, when I got up this morning, I didn't feel like getting out of bed. I was, I was talking about aches and pains and exhausted, whatever. And he said, then the Lord just spoke to me and uh, reminded me of some scripture. He says, uh, and by the time I got done listening to this, he said, I got up. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, I wasn't taking notes, all right? It's dangerous to do when you're driving. He says, but then here I am. I got here, and this is the second service, and the audience is cheering like yay you know you, you, you did it you got here you, you drug yourself out of bed you got to church he says and you know how i did it this is the part that made me about scream he goes i claimed it <laughs> claimed it that's practically word of faith right there he said i saw a promise in the word of god and i said that belongs to me and i claimed it this is exactly what word of faith is I've said this before. People use the, the, the term name it and claim it as kind of a derogative term to describe us. Uh, and I get it. And, and here's, here's what I would say. Uh, I 100% agree with the claim it part. But 
we've got to look in here to see about the name it part because God's done the naming. All right? How can I claim healing? I'm not naming healing. God named it. He named it as my as part of my rebirth right. I am the God who heals you. This is one of his names. Right? I am the God who heals you. Jehovah Rapha. I'm not claiming, I'm not naming anything. I'm just claiming what he named. I'm Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. I'm not claiming prosperity. I'm not naming prosperity. He named it. I'm just claiming it. It's the, same with, it's the same with everything that he has named, that we've got to know what his word says. Listen, he has named healing. We don't have to beg him. We might, and, man, and God convicted me about some things because there have been some things in my life where I've just been kind of saying, oh, Lord, please, oh, Lord, please. And I know that he has, uh, um, and I'll tell you the whole story someday, all right? But I know that, that God, he's got a father's heart. And I think when we as his children beg and plead just like they did back in Jeremiah's day, I think it does break his heart. I think he's moved, but he's not. But, but what moves him to action? Faith. And what is faith? Faith isn't begging and pleading and hoping. Faith is claiming. Faith is saying, is thanking him because he's already made a promise. You know what God wants for you, and you pray in accordance with that. Now, how many of you honestly believe God has said healing belongs to you? All right, I want you to stand up right now. Everybody stand up. And if you've got a physical need in your body, even if you woke up this morning and said, Scott, I'm not sure I need you to pray for me because I've been speaking it all day. This is a healing service. And we're not going to, it's already 8 o'clock. I don't want to take a lot of time with that. And praise God, when I read the scriptures, maybe I'm reading them wrong. Maybe that what we're seeing is abbreviated act. I don't see Jesus lingering a long time over anybody. It's not that I don't love you enough to spend time with you. It's just if you come up here for prayer, I'm just going to say, be healed. I might say a few more words. I might be in the middle of a prayer while I go down. If there's three of you, if there's 30 of you, I don't care. As an act of faith, come and receive what God has for you. If you've got a need for physical healing in your body, come down here now. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.